Welcome to How They Get Stuff Done, where we ask successful people about the productivity habits behind their success. Side effects of listening to this show may include elevated levels of motivation, acute feelings of inspiration, and lasting improvements to your productivity. Now, here's your host, Peter Akis. Hey, folks. Today, I'm speaking with Jesse Meekham. Jesse is the founder of You Need a Budget, or YNAB, an app that helps you gain control of your money. Until just a few weeks ago, Jesse was also the CEO of YNAB, a company with more than 100 employees. He has also written a book, and he hosts a podcast, both of which are also titled You Need a Budget. Oh, and did I mention that Jesse has seven kids? I was keen to speak with Jesse not only because I used YNAB for years and heartily recommend it but also because Jesse has a very thoughtful approach to his productivity. There's a lot of parallels between budgeting and task management, and we really get into that in this episode. Jesse and I discuss how adding structure can help you feel free when it comes to budgeting as well as to time management, creating a work culture that emphasizes outcomes rather than butts in seats, how Jesse used Things 3 to support the writing of his book, and much more. Enjoy the show! Hey, Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Peter. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so I want to ask a very hard-hitting question right away. Um, You're in Utah, and I know you lift weights. That's something I've heard you talk about on other podcasts. Are there gyms open in Utah right now? There there are, yeah. They were were shut down for a bit, but, uh, well, there was the big run on home gym equipment, so there are... There are like thousands of gyms that never existed, you know, now, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think they're open and just kind of doing the spaced out thing. I, I was lucky enough the year before this all went crazy to set up a home gym here. And so that was, mm. that was a blessing not having that disrupted. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Lucky. Yeah. I sort of got into lifting weights back in August. I'd kind of been dabbling in it every now and then, but never really took mm-hmm. it seriously. And so I finally started working with a personal trainer and it was so fun. You know, it's been really fun. But then after three months, the gym's closed and they're still closed here. They've been closed since oh, like December. Sheesh. Yeah, so now I work out with them outside, which like, you know, assuming the weather is decent, it's not right. quite the same. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he yeah. brings like a, a small barbell and some like lightweight so we can do some stuff. But like I'm dying to actually go back. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, you you need the right equipment if you're really serious about it. I mean, you can you got to do what you can do, you know, which I think it says something about your trainer who, you know, that he's he or she's willing to kind of um adjust and make what works work, you know. But but yeah, a squat rack does wonders for you as well. So Totally. Now, once he recently, once he got the barbell, now we're doing everything with the barbell. It's like, you yeah. know, the, you know, overhead presses, whatever. It doesn't any, anything that we haven't had a chance to do. Um, okay. So, so, well, it's nice that you've got your home gym. So it's, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's pleasant. Yeah. Lucky, lucky. Yeah. So we'll be talking about a couple of things today. Um, productivity, budgeting. I, I want to start off um, with a question that I ask most people. Um, what does productivity mean to you? You know, when you're thinking about am I being productive? How do you measure that? How do you evaluate that for yourself? To me, it's just, am I doing the right thing? That's, that's the first, and you might almost say only answer, mm-hmm. but figuring out what the right thing is to do, uh, is far more important than going faster, doing the wrong thing. So right. yeah, fig- figuring out those right things. That's, that's key. And so, you're the CEO of a company, right? So let's start there. What are the right things to do as the CEO of a company? You've got about like what, 100 employees at this point? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're quite a bit, of, well, 100, 
Yeah, over a hundred now, and um, we we actually just stepped down as CEO a few weeks ago. Oh wow! Uh, just so I could do more podcasts, more promotion, more mm-hmm. more of what I loved doing, which was just teaching our method, and I'm sure we'll get into all of that. Um, but I was CEO for 17 years, so I can still speak mm. to that position yeah, yeah, quite yeah. a bit. Um, and I'm actually quite excited about who we have in as CEO. His name's Todd. He's the chief product, or he was the chief product officer. And mm. um, I think I think he's well equipped to take us where I didn't feel my skill set really was perfectly, you know, nicely aligned. Anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent. But as when I I've gone through every role at our company, so I've been I've run support. I've I've helped build pr- the product. I've helped design, make UI UX decisions, and then um, as you as the organization kept growing, I just found that I needed to be doing things that were higher leverage instead of just um, intense or busy or time consuming. So um, it's not really about spending more time on things. It's just about making sure that the thing you're doing, going back to kind of that right thing idea, that it is a high leverage activity, especially if you're in a position of leverage. And I mean that in kind of a, a positive way. Um, yeah. You know, where you're saying like, I'm steering 100 plus people, and that's leverage. You know, you're, you're, you're able to apply quite a bit more force to whatever you're trying to move. And, and so in that way, knowing that you're in a high leverage position, you, it makes it all the more important that you are doing the right thing. Because if you were wrong, that means 100 plus people are wrong. It's amplified. Well. You know, it's amplified, exactly. And so that that was the key. Um, day-to-day CEO stuff's pretty, probably pretty normal like someone would imagine, but it's just what is high leverage here? And then is that the right thing? Interesting. So, so I would love to get a sense of what your weekly schedule or just your daily activities were like when you were CEO, and and mm-hmm. what it's like now. Do we have a do we have a title for your new role? Uh, we don't actually. I'm founder. I just say I'm the founder. You know, and I'm still okay. here. I'm I'm actually. I feel like I'm working more now than I was three weeks ago. Like I I'm so jazzed about just going out and promoting and and um, getting into businesses and getting businesses to get wine up for their employees so that their employees mm. are less stressed, more productive. The whole thing is, has me super excited. Um, but my, my schedule was fairly, I mean, there were some high leverage spots like Mondays were always carved out for meeting one-on-one with the other executives. And then the executive weekly meeting that was like, it doesn't move. It doesn't budge. And I wanted to be really on my a game there. A lot of the other day, it was a matter or other, other week days. It was a matter of just looking ahead and kind of saying, okay, what are like kind of my quarterly big things that I need to take care of and how do I chunk those up and make something pretty approachable for, you know, this week and then this day. So I do a lot of just kind of like big project. Um, when do I need it done? And then you just backstep and, um, I'm a big things fan. Uh, and I know you, you're, you know, very adept at using things. Um, <laughs> and so I, I do that. It's just like, I'll go in there and say, here's my project. And then I just start just typing and hitting enter. And that's what I love about that app. You just go. And then, um, it's, it helps me see what's next, you know? And so, you know, your direction's right because you've got this big view. And I think it's easier to be right about big things than it is about small day-to-day things. And so you get that big view, right? This big project. And then it's a matter of just breaking it down so that, you know, okay, the next thing will serve that big, you know, that big goal. Yeah. And so let's take those one at a time because I'm I'm interested in both the 
how do you set the direction and on a day-to-day level, you know, how do you work in things? So uh, at a high level, right, you're saying, okay, let's, you set your goals, you define big projects and then you start working through them. Do you have a formal process for identifying your goals? Is there like a quarterly thing where you sit down with other people in the company or even for your personal life, you know, or is it more, I don't know, as you go about your days, you come up with things you want to do and you kind of keep a list somewhere? Yeah. Um, we, as executives, we would meet quarterly. And that was where we mm. would see, essentially, we would try and discuss the most important issues. And out of discussion of issues comes what should be done. And then what should be done turns into a project. So um, I'm specifically speaking to like our product roadmap and things. That's a whole other deal that I didn't manage in particular. Our now CEO yeah. uh, does and did. But it was, it's those that quarterly cadence helped us as a company. Um, well, I could go back even further. Every three years, I would write a vivid vision for the company mm. and like like it had already happened i got it from a book uh by um, an author named cameron harold who wrote a book called i think it's called double double maybe um and you write a vision as if it's already taken place mm. and then and you you be you're very descriptive about it you paint the picture of it and that vivid vision would give us some uh, give us something to work with. And then every year we would look at what we called, and this is from another book. I don't, I don't have any original ideas. It's all, they're all stolen from other books, but the, we would have <laughs> uh, a thing called a vision traction organizer, which is a very boring sounding name for a very useful document. I actually have it literally sitting in front of me here. And it's where we can, we state, you know, what is the mission of the company? Are we clear on this mission? What is the strategy? What are our core values? Where are our uniques? And so you have this, you're, you're trying to build lenses through which you then can say, here's our strategy. How do we execute? And we work from a big long view target to then kind of like a two year, three year measurables. And then we back into a one year plan. And so everything's about looking far ahead and saying, is everyone comfortable with what we might look like 10 years from now? Are we all good there? And everyone, it, it's usually pretty easy to get to that. And then just you break it up even down into like a three year view. And then maybe you describe it with a few bullet points. And then now you say, okay, we're here at a one-year plan and these are our objectives and what are our key results? Um, John Dewar has a book called Measure What Matters. That's where you can learn all about OKRs. But it's it's just a matter of being clear on that far afield thing and then backing up into it. I feel like when you're facing a, a year or a quarter, it actually is pretty obvious what should be done. It's pretty, It's it, yeah, there's no mystery there with that kind of a time frame. The mystery comes at like the five-year seven-year mark you know we all like to think we're we know what's going to happen there and we don't you know we don't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so that is very structured right so you've yeah. got like a long-term vision and you're saying like i'm backing out to the 10-year the five-year the whatever um and so i can see how within a business this is something that is i wouldn't say easy but it's i think simpler to do because you you know what the purpose of the business is right uh, in some yeah. sense vaguely do you, would you do the same for your personal life? Like, let's say for your family life or for, you know, hobbies or whatever. Do you have the same thing where like, what is my vision where I want to be with my personal interests? And do you back that out? Or just that, is that a fuzzier goal setting and, and action taking process? Yeah, it is probably a little fuzzier, although I don't know why it would need to be necessarily. I, um, it took us a while to figure out the mission and the words, you know, for the mission of YNAB, uh, yeah. our company. But, but when you think about your own personal mission, I mean, I've, I've, seven kids and so that fills up a lot of the time and you just think well what's what's our objective here and julie my wife you know we're talking about where do we want to be 
a little bit down the road, we do talk with the kids and specifically we talk about kind of four quadrants of focus. So we talk about spiritual, intellectual, social, and then physical. And we kind of ask like, what are your goals in there right now? And then every Monday we, we actually have what we call family home evening where we, it's family time. You don't get to go off and do something else. You're here with the family. And that's a time where we actually review. We just ask, ask the kids. So you said you wanted to learn a back handspring at gymnastics. How's it going? And they get to kind of report on it. So, um, in that instance, I have tried to introduce some structure into the chaos that is my family life. And, um, the kids seem to respond really well to it. They like reporting on it. Um, they like to say, Oh, I didn't do that so well. And then you just ask, well, what do you think you'll do this week that would help you hit that goal with friends? You know, where you were saying you wanted to invite a, a, a new friend every month what would you do? And they'll come up with stuff, you know? So again, you get that kind of big directional goal, right? And then the next step is usually pretty obvious, even for the littles, you know, man, I love that. So, so I don't have kids, but presumably I will someday. And that that's to me as the person who's like really interested in like task management, organizing your life. It sounds amazing. (laughs) Your kids are like, Oh my gosh, we have uh, my dad's a taskmaster, you know? No, no, that, that wouldn't be, I don't know if that'd be that great, but yeah, I, you know, to, to pretend that I know anything about parenting would be just absolutely false. You know, you figure it out as you go, just like you figure out life. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that I'm really clear on with my kids is like, hey, this is my first time, you know. So <laughs> just yeah. go easy on me and I'll try and go easy on you and we'll see if we can figure this out together. So. Yeah, but I like having some structure there too. So I think uh, I actually see this in a lot of my students. A lot of the time the problem is they actually know what they want. The problem is mm-hmm. just a lack of structure, you know what I'm saying? And so I think a lot of the times people think that structure is bad. They feel constricted. You know, you know about this. This is like one of the wine app tenants, right? So, so actually I've been meaning to ask you about this because, um, little background for, for you and also for the listeners, I used wine app for a couple years right out of college. So, so I, I got my, um, my first job and, at the time, I didn't know how to manage money. I didn't know what I wanted. So I heard about YNAB and I checked it out and I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. And one of the nice things about YNAB is it forces you, or at least I don't know if it still works this way, right? Every single transaction that you make, you like enter it into the system. Mm-hmm. So you become super aware of what it is that you're spending your money on. That's something that I, at the time, you know, I didn't know. You yeah. know, what am I spending my money on? And, and more importantly, where's most of my money going? Even if you know, like, oh, I spent some money on groceries, I spent some money on the rent, I spent some money on insurance, uh, the, the ratio of those is really important to understand. Mm-hmm. And I actually found that making a budget in YNAB, adding that structure made me feel much more free to then spend money on certain things because I wasn't yeah. constantly thinking, you know, there, there was no fuzziness there. It's like, I know right. I have money to buy new shoes, right? Um, so can you maybe explain to us a little bit or explain to the listener, right? Why is it that adding structure can actually make you feel more, let's say free, I guess is a good way yeah. of putting it. Well, I think there, there's a lot of shame specifically around money. There's a lot of shame just with its use. And, um, you know, I don't meet a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm killing it on the money front. Like, yeah, no problem at all. You know, it, mm. it just seems to be, there seems to be some shame that's pretty easily attached to it. So the, the frustrating part about money is if you buy the shoes, you feel guilty because you bought them. And if you don't buy the shoes, you feel sad that you can't buy them. And so you're kind of like, well, gosh, where's the fun in, in this, 
you know? Even if you have the shoes, you can't necessarily enjoy them or it's fleeting. So in on the time management front, if Julie and I sit down, we're not we're not like big movie watchers or things. It's just there's always something else that seems a little more pressing or a little more interesting. Yeah, but, but you have seven kids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay, maybe that movie will happen in a couple of years, you know. But the the idea is, if I do want to watch a movie, like you mentioned the word Tenet, and I actually watched that movie the other day, and it just like kind of melted my brain oh, a little man, bit. And I'm like, sorry, I, sorry, but I got to watch this game, this crazy. movie again. Yeah, it, <laughs> like I watched it. I'm like, I'm this. No one should make a movie this confusing. Anyway, the second time through, it was quite, it was quite a bit better, but. We're, I wanted to watch it, and so what I told Julie was, I said, hey, we're, I want to watch this movie tonight, and we planned it. It helps Julie not feel like there's something else she should or could be doing. It helps me relax a little more, and all, and that is structure. We said, we're going to take the evening, we're going to take two and a half hours, and we're going to use it in this way, and then you can enjoy it. And it's the same with money. Our first rule, you know, give every dollar a job. We're implementing this structure where we're saying, well, we have this pile of money, big or small, and we want that money to do certain things. And once you're clear, I want to spend this time doing this, or I want to spend this money to have it do this for me, then when you allow it to happen, it feels good. It's when we're reactive. It's when money just kind of comes into our account and then goes out with a mind of its own, or it's when time is given to us every single morning, and then by the end of the day, you're just like, ah, oh, what happened? All this time just slipped through my fingers. It's the same feeling of like, I just reacted to everything that came my way. And whether it's money or time, the parallels are, I mean, they're almost in lockstep with each other. And that, so that structure gives you permission to buy yourself something nice, to go on a vacation, to do it without feeling guilty about it, or to go out to eat and not feel like, oh, we shouldn't go out to eat, you know, whatever. It just, if you have a plan, then you're allowed. And that permission is what gets rid of the guilt. And that's where you can start to find a lot of joy in your money even if you aren't making more. It's just your money's lining up more with what you want, and that, that feels good. And I love the emphasis on emotions because uh, this is the case for both budgeting, money-related matters, and for productivity. A lot of people see those as purely rational, logical things. And so yeah. I think, yeah, when I first started teaching people how to like use task management apps, it was a very rational approach, right? But more and more, I'm realizing now that what people need help with is their emotions. And it's like you're saying, people feel guilty or mm -hmm. they feel frustrated that, you know, they spent the day and, and they're like, where did all my time go? Like, what did I do with my day? So, you know, the tools here, whether it's like money, like a budgeting tool or something like that, or a task manager, the tool exists to help you feel better. And I think this is such a key thing <laughs> to remember, right? It's not, you know, there's no intrinsic benefit to using a tool. It's like there's an outcome there. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, and I love the emphasis on um, giving every dollar a job, you know? So now I'm kind of curious, do you also give sort of every, you know, 15 minutes, every hour a job? Are you like really big on like time blocking your entire week? Uh, I've tried time blocking and I've gone, I mean, I've dabbled with it, but I usually don't find it's, it, I just wasn't finding the value there. I, mm. I mean, I use the getting things done method from David Allen. I, I took that a decade ago, probably more and um, ran with that in, the, in, the, in a digital format, and I landed on things, and I've used things ever since. And I've resisted the urge to try and switch systems. I just, because like you said, you're looking for an outcome, not a specific tool. Um, so things just fit the bill. I feel like it's well done, well designed, good software. Um, and so in my 
situation, it really is about being clear on what my projects are and those next steps. And then I am religious about using my inbox to dump things that my brain comes up with that I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to or cannot deal with in the moment. And so um, I process my inbox only Mondays and run through that. And I either schedule them, like drop them in, hey, pop this up next Thursday or whenever I can deal with it, or I'll do it right then. Um, and then I keep things open all the time on my external monitor that's just, it's there. And it's just at the beginning of the day, I put them in the order they should be done. And that's, that's it. Um, I try and keep distractions down. I try and have Slack closed. I don't, um, I do emails Mondays and Thursdays. That helps not be reactive. It would be like trying to save money, but every day you walk through the mall, you know, that's what <laughs> email is. It, yeah, it's bad. It's just bad. I mean, malls are just soul sucking, soul sucking places. And, and so you're like, I'm going to go save money. And so you, you would just, email is that for productivity in the sense that people are like, I want to use my time well, so I'm going to go to the one place where everyone else gets to tell me how I should spend my time. It just doesn't make any sense. So I'm very clear with myself, Mondays and Thursdays, I process the inbox completely. And if you, I can dive into that for just a moment, the, the inbox, when I process it, I either answer the email, archive the email, mark it as spam, unsubscribe from it, or build a filter. So yeah. I do not want to deal with the same email again. If I get a, hey, your privacy policy has changed, I build a filter that gets rid of all privacy policy changes and I never see them again. So I, yeah. I probably have 200 of those on email because I don't <laughs> want to have to do the same thing over and over. So that keeping distractions minimized helps me then stay focused on those, those big things. And if it's two things in the day and you do them, that's a good day. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to work just with your hair on fire or anything. Yeah. And so, you know, I was, I was thinking about this because you, you've written a book, you host a podcast. Um, I guess up until recently you were CEO, but you're still yeah. very involved with the company, very right? Busy. So, yeah. yeah. So you've got seven kids, uh, you lift weights. There's a lot of stuff going on here. So what I wanted to know is what do you not do? And so I guess, uh, check oh, your gosh. email five times a day is one, but are there some other things that you deliberately not do or don't oh, do? Oh man. Um, that is, that is a tricky, that's a tricky question. What do I not do? Um, I'm, I'm picky about who I spend time with. So outside of work, you have to be mm -hmm. kind of selective. I think as, as the kids grow up, you just realize, oh, I'm spending a good bit of time with these, with these kiddos, you know? Um, what about like social yeah. media? So for example, I was oh, checking you out on, on Twitter to like do some background yeah. <laughs> research for this episode and the last tweets were 2018. Found a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I forgot. Yeah, see you're asking me what I don't do and so I don't even know. It's like it's like what do you not think about? And you're like I everything. Yeah, I don't yeah. <laughs> so I yeah, I I deleted Facebook a while back um couple, maybe a couple years ago. Um I got off Twitter. I kept the handle because I didn't want someone else to pop on and be like, Hey, I'm Jesse Meekum. You shouldn't budget, you know, something funny. That would be funny. <laughs> but I, you know, I just like, ah, I should probably keep the name. Uh, I got off Instagram. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really actually do. I, I nuked my LinkedIn profile. Uh, that's where you go to get pitches. You know, if you want to be sold something, just build a LinkedIn yeah. profile. So, yeah. um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty negative on the whole social media thing. I don't, 
just wasn't finding it that was a win for me. Now, my company, we're active on there, you know, and bless Janelle's heart. She works in our social media. And we're even on TikTok. We're killing it on TikTok with Sarah. Oh, She's really? Doing hilarious things. So I will jump on there and be like, well, what's Wine up to on TikTok, you know? But yeah. um, but that's that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't do any of the social media stuff. It, I, I have a lux- the luxury of not having to promote on there because there are people here that do a better job of it than I would anyway. Um, but I would also be really careful in how people assume that there's value there that is worth all of the negative. So Cal yeah. Newport does a better job of explaining that in his book, Digital Minimalism. You know, like what are your trade-offs? So people should just read that if they need the real good deep dive. But Yeah, no, I mean, that's on my to-read list because deep work is like one of my, I wouldn't say some oh. of my favorite books, but like one of the books that got me thinking differently the most, I think. Yeah, like, um, yeah, it, I mean, it's not like you just can't stop reading it like a page turner, but it's so no. useful. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's just so, yeah, it's when, for people that come on the team at YNAB, it's required reading, you know, like, okay, you, you, wow. you need to read that book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that actually, you know what, that has me thinking of something else I really wanted to ask you about because YNAB has been a remote company for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, or is that, that's right. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what has it been like in the past year for you to watch a lot of other people discover remote working? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I've had to be like a defender of the faith because so many people are like, oh, this is horrible. Uh, oh, this is distracting. My kids are at home. And I was like, well, you tried remote work while schools were shut down, you know? So that's not like a fair shake totally. Or we have all this pandemic stress and then we're trying remote work for the first time. I'm like, ah, that's not the nice isolated controlled experiment I would have wanted to see. Um, I push back mainly on CEOs and other business leaders that think that, um, you know, butts in seats is their measure of productivity and I, it kills me. So I just, I, you know, I was speaking at a, a group the other day, kind of making the case for remote work and, and well, there are two things on this one. They're like, how do you know your team's being productive? And like you said, Peter, you were like, well, it's the outcome. I, if someone delivers a killer outcome and they do it in one hour a day, I'm going to give them a raise. I'm not going to be like, ah, you should be in your seat longer. So, you know, based on their idea of productivity, if you just, you get a building, you buy chairs, you hire people and you have them sit in the chairs and then just like profit, you know, (laughs) magic. Yeah. Magic happens. And so I don't know why we think that, that like parking spots being filled means work is being done. So there's that. The other side of it, that's even more interesting on the remote part I was speaking to a company where they they do, they have 800 employees and she's like, yeah, we're now remote because our corporate staff all works from home. Well, their corporate staff was 60 people and the other 740 people are field techs that are doing like HVAC installations, repairs. I mean, they've been remote since 1946 when the company was founded. They're remote. They, they, They like invented remote, you know? And so I was like, you are remote. So I think Every time a CEO sits in their corner office for three hours working hard on something, they are remote. And mm-hmm. I think people should start to think about that part of it. Oh, most of the time, I'm not right shoulder to shoulder with everybody. Are there strategies and tactics I could use that would make it to where our culture, connection, communication, com- competition, where we're doing all of that well? And there are. I mean, we were in 2020, Fortune named us the number one small workplace. 
and we did it all remotely you know um so remote gets a bad rap it shouldn't most companies are remote anyway um and it's just about being intentional about what you do there to make sure that your employees are feeling connected they're getting that culture uh they're communicating and collaborating effectively and that you're obviously competing in the marketplace you know winning your share of the market yeah the interesting thing for me is so if I had to tell people, like, should you get a job or not? Because, like, I have experience working as a corporate consultant, you know, and now now mm-hmm. I have so much more of a fun life because I'm, I have my <laughs> own business. I'd probably tell them, I don't know, this online business thing is pretty awesome. You should check it out. Yeah. However, if you are going to have a job, like, I was looking at one of your jobs pages. I, I'm going to read you a little quote because I love this. Yeah. Um, YNAB jobs page. It said, we're all adults. There's no At YNAB, there's no need to punch a clock or ask for permission to take off early one afternoon to go see the doctor. We look at what you accomplish not how long you sit in front of a computer. And so I love that focus on the output rather than the input, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I think it aligns the incentives is exactly like it's what you were saying earlier, right? It's not, um, it's ridiculous, the, the butts and seats theory. And so if I were to tell people anytime, if you, if you do want a job, okay, like go to a place where they explicitly say this on their yeah. jobs page, right? Like we care about your output, not about how long, you can put up with Zoom meetings, for example, right. because I think oh, that's that's a lot of what it's about these days. Any any pro tips, by the way, on how to make uh, virtual meetings uh, suck a little bit less? Uh, yeah, start them early and end them early. So show up a little early. This is one that we got from Brady. He's one of our engineers, and he just said, um, show up to the meeting. This sounds a little counterintuitive because you're like, no, we want them shorter and smaller and non-existent if possible. But yeah, he was basically saying, show up early and... Um, chat a little bit before the meeting and you'll find that you connect and it kind of breaks the ice of the meeting because in in real life when you walk into a room that naturally happens and everyone can manage themselves and there's Mm -hmm. natural like ice breaking moments that are just built in you and i don't even know that we do it and in video it's like patunk pop up you know and like it's just very it's new it's awkward and so if you show up a little early and you just chat and then the next person that comes in just hears people bantering then they're like, oh, okay, well, I'll pipe in a little bit. It breaks the ice. So show up five minutes early, and you'll also notice that you just get to know your colleagues a little better and connect a little more. Then end the meeting early because no one ever complained about that. You'd be a champion. you know. (laughs) So you just end end the meeting a little early, and it'd be phenomenal. Going back to the deep work bit, learning to work asynchronously where you have people thinking hard about a problem by themselves and then coming and collaborating and poking holes at the idea and debating. That's great, but like, we also need time to sit with ourselves and our own thoughts and write and think. Writing is a fantastic way of thinking where you can hang on to the thought. There, there's a fantastic thing there that happens where the quality of thinking improves with the writing. And so we really try and promote the idea of not everything needs to be discussed um, at first ideation, like, oh, now let's discuss it it's like, no, everyone go off and think about it by yourself for a bit. I don't know. There seems to be some efficiencies gained there when you then come back and start to poke holes at the idea. And how do your employees experience this? So, so you're, you know, I love what I'm hearing in terms of like, give people space to do deep work, focus on the output, not the input. Don't have meetings that run too long and stuff. Uh, this is what I would preach if I were running a company. But how do people experience this when they first join your company? Are, are people like, oh, this makes a ton of sense? Or are they like, well, hey, this is very different than what I'm used to? It is different. It is different. Um, Slack for us is pretty quiet. Um, we just, maybe we've attracted people or they've gotten used to it or both, 
but we we hire we've hired people that um, like to do that deeper work, hmm. that like to kind of, I don't know, go dark for a bit, and something you can do as a leader is not slack people at odd times, even though you just thought of a brilliant idea and it's nine forty five at night or two AM. Um, yeah, you just you don't start to set the precedent of like, hey, when I write this to you, I expect a response back. That allows people to realize I can shut this down and I can come back in three hours. And no one's gonna think, well, where were you? I didn't see your little green light or whatever that meant you were just killing it. It doesn't. Yeah. It just means, you know, you're on. So a big part of leadership is you don't, you know, be be aware of when you're sending messages. And honestly, it's the reverse. <laughs> like if I see someone that responds very, very fast in Slack all the time, I'm kind of <laughs> like, what are you, mm. what's going on here? You know, are you going for little dopamine hits instead of getting like real meaty, important stuff done? So um, anyway, as leaders, you can set the precedent of, not having to be responsive immediately and that allows people to get a little bit of breathing room but when people come on board they do say things like whoa slack is pretty quiet and we don't email each other at all um and it comes i mean it comes from the top i don't like to work that way um and i think we've hired people that don't like to work that way either so yeah no and, and that makes a ton of sense so you you mentioned the importance of just sitting with your thoughts for a little bit, especially writing out your thoughts and, and not immediately jumping on them. I've been thinking about that this past week in the context of I'm, I'm working on a new course, so I'm mapping out some lessons oh, from my new cool. course and stuff. Yeah, and doing that on the computer, I'm I, I like it's tricky. I find myself, it's really easy to grab for my email inbox or whatever, yeah. just you know any distraction. So I've been doing it on paper, and it's actually very pleasant to, to write down the you know, my outline, my course ideas on paper. And it got me thinking about when you wrote your book, because you wrote a book also called You Need a Budget, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. um, what was the routine like there for you to write that book? How did that fit into your week? Um, what time did you write? How long of a stretches at a time did you write? I'm curious about that. A lot of it is, um, I mean, we had done, I had done so much content creation up to that book. The book came out end of 2017. And I'd been writing about budgeting or talking about budgeting since 2004. And yeah. so a lot of it was just gathering and thinking through like these thoughts and, you know, just little tidbits like, oh, that's a nice way of thinking about it and pulling that yeah. in, um, recording a lot of like just talking things through, you know, in audio, um, and almost like interview format. And then um, going through old podcasts and finding things that I liked, like I liked the way this, this was uh, you know, this was, this came across, um, and then reworking the high level, like table of contents and flow where you haven't written any sentences. You're just where things will go. That to me is sometimes the trickier part is yeah. like, how will this, like, you know, just, if I were to write a sentence about each and I, and then it's just a matter of, you know, backstepping. So, when you work with a publisher, they're like, it needs to be, you know, 50,000 words or whatever. Like they have some number they just give you, which I think mm. whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, you, you're kind of like, OK, I know it needs to be this long. We added a chapter a little bit later that I'm actually really glad we added that wasn't, in, you know, about kids and money because it ended up being a really, uh, really popular chapter. But the yeah, it's just a matter of knowing where you want to go with that outline. That's the hardest part. And then I would in things I would write like write 20, you know, 
the to do would be like 20%, 20% the next day, 20% the next day. And then backing up and be like, okay, editing. Now edit a chunk, edit a chunk. And I write very small to do's so that it's, it's 300 items long, but the next thing is just a little bit. And then when you, you know, when you're going to your next view or whatever you have, you're just like, oh, I can do that. You know, that's, that's achievable. And the nice yeah. thing is when you do that small thing, you know, the day was good, but it's the day where you get distracted, procrastinate. Every time I need to do something important, I feel like I should straighten my desk and go get a sandwich. You know, it's just, it's I weird. <laughs> so it's like, oh, do I have to use the bathroom? Maybe I do. I'll go use the bathroom first. It's like, you just, just make tea. everything. <laughs> yeah. Like everything else, but just sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and start to try and figure stuff out. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's a lot of discipline there involved, um, which, no? Yeah, well, I've, I think structure. I like structure mm. more than discipline. Discipline to me sounds like grit, like um, not yeah. like Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. That's a good book. But like um, you don't willpower this stuff because yeah. willpower is so fleeting. Yeah. So it's it's that structure that you mentioned early on. Yeah. No, I, I actually, I I think you're right. I don't think discipline is the right word. I found myself really resisting a lot of things lately, and and I think the way to get out of that is to be more excited about stuff. So what? So one of my own rules yeah. that I've been trying to have recently is like, if I'm less ex less or not excited about it, stop doing it because it's so mm -hmm. you know you can task manage you know the crap out of everything that you do, but the thing is that's not going to, in the end, actually help you do it, and especially for creative work, right? So you're saying yeah. you're breaking down, like, oh, I got to write this chapter or whatever. That's great, but, like, your task manager is not going to actually help you do that work. So at some point, you've got to do it, so you got to have some source of motivation. Um, do, do, so you, you do manage your own tasks then, but I'm, even though I'm sure, like, definitely when you were CEO, you had, like, an assistant or someone managing some stuff for you. Um, so you manage your own personal tasks, and then is there something on the side, some parallel system for managing team communication or tasks? Yeah, I mean, I used to have a personal assistant that would, like, be in my inbox responding to emails and doing all of that, and then she went on mm. maternity leave for four months, and I was like, well, this will be a good experiment just to see how, how I can do, again, back in the old email. And... Yeah. Um, I actually, I really liked trying to get myself out of email without having to reintroduce her back into it when she came back. So when she did come back, uh, she's like, well, you want me to get back in there? I was like, no, let's, I'll just keep doing it. Cause I had this whole like unsubscribe Marcus spam filter system. So I actually don't get a ton of emails. Um, or if I do, I never, never see them. Um, so, and then I didn't have her do the, um, I didn't have her start to do any kind of executive assistant things after um one because she had a career trajectory that I, I liked it more where she was headed in the hr front i feel like there was more more career upside there and yeah. she was more excited about that and then i read something interesting from one of my favorite authors his name's nasim taleb he wrote the black swan um and mm -hmm. my favorite book of his is called anti-fragile but he um he pushed my thinking on one spot where he basically said if you have an assistant then you don't have a good filter in place for things to say no to because the assistant can kind of grease the skids so well that yeah. saying yes becomes pretty smooth and easy. And so it was like, be careful with that because you might be saying yes to things that if you had a little bit of friction, like setting up a, a podcast or doing this or that, you would maybe say no. And I, and he said it more eloquently and smartly, but at the end of the day, I was like, oh, I'm going to try that. And so we do have Haley that helps book you know, podcast things like this. Um, but for the most part, I try and just 
be more choosy about what I do. And then that doesn't require someone else to help me do those things faster or more efficiently. Yeah. I love that approach. I think this is often a personal growth challenge for people to, <laughs> to actually yeah. learn how to say no to things. All right. I want to ask you something else about YNAB before we wrap up, because I was reflecting on this a little bit. YNAB is such a great tool for learning how to budget and in particular for understanding what you're spending your money on. And I think for a lot of people, it has to do with spending less as well. Um, mm -hmm. And when we're thinking of creating financial freedom, which is, I guess, what most people want. They just like want money not to be a problem in their life, whether emotionally or like literally the amount of money. Uh, another thing you can do is making more money. So mm -hmm. one thing that I would like to get your thoughts on is where is that balance between being, you know, really in control of how much money you spend and where it's going yet, or focusing on making more money, which is just another way that you could potentially solve some of your money problems, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, more money does not solve money problems. Um, there, there is a money problem where, and the, the problem is this person does not make enough money. That is a, hmm. a legitimate money problem. Um, it is one problem of many. And the others are far more common where um, people mismanage their money. And so we, um, sometimes people will think, oh, you, you know, you run a company called You Need a Budget. You must have people that make not that much money come and maybe, you know, just out of college, like Peter back in the day, you know, it's like, well, you weren't making a ton of money, so I need to watch my money carefully. And that's just not the case. The um, more, the majority of people that end up landing with us make quite good money and they just don't feel in control of it. So um, if I were to order those things to go back to your question, I would first make sure that you're spending, I don't even like saying spending, I'd make sure that your money is doing what you want it to do. Hmm. And if you find that you don't have enough money doing what you want it to do, after you've, you've just, you know, you've given it a good college try, then I would say, okay, you now, now since you've solved the money problems related to lack of awareness, spending reflexively, arguing with a partner about money, not being clear on what you want your money really to do, um, not, yeah, just not being aware, all the things that our rules kind of address. If, if you've done all that and you're like, ah, this, I still have a money problem. You're like, oh, it might be that last one that you're not making enough. And then, yeah, go do it. I, I had that problem. I, you know, in that order, actually, I mean, we were newly married, broke and I, um, you know, we were going to have a baby about a year later and I built a little spreadsheet and we tracked our money on that and we saved even though we were making very very little as a, as a newlywed you know college student couple um and then when we wanted julie to be able to stay home and just just do the mom thing and, and figure that all out um we weren't going to have enough money and the budget clearly showed us oh you're you're going to be short <laughs> yeah and so i i set out to try and solve that money problem and make more and that was that was why that was where wineab started was was there i thought oh, maybe i could sell this little spreadsheet that people might find some use you know with and we quickly got to real software and away from the spreadsheet but the idea was still the same let me see if i can cover this gap a little bit so um so yeah you don't want to gloss over making money as a solution but it it usually comes after we've addressed the others yeah and do you think that people Mm. If people, I think a lot of times people 
do their work, do a job for the money. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of times people are like unhappy with like the amount of money that they're making or maybe they're unhappy with the job, right? Is there, um, do you think, is there an interplay there that, that like if you get better control of your finances, can that help out your work situation as well? Oh gosh, yeah. You Well, you won't be as resentful because can you imagine not really enjoying a job and perhaps one of the reasons you don't is because you feel like you're there and you're not really getting any traction, you know? So, um, although on the flip side, you get control of your money and then you realize, Oh, maybe I don't need to be in this high stress, high pressure, high income job. Maybe I can back off a little bit. We have a lot of people that are able to change their career, maybe take a pay cut, but everything else about life is better. And, it, it's interesting that people will spend so much time and you were doing the corporate consultancy thing. I'll bet you saw this, this rat race a little bit like, Oh yeah. They'll, they'll spend so much time and effort, go to college, study hard, do all the recruiting, get a job. Uh, and then just like start trying to climb that ladder, doing everything they yeah. can, their mind, everything about it is just like focused on it. And then as soon as all of that effort, years of effort is translated into a dollar, then they're just like, oh, I'm not good with money. You're like, well, that's the that's odd, you know. It's a strange disconnect there where you put all this effort into creating that dollar and then no effort in in using it the way you'd like to use it. Yeah, we had so many people at the firm that I worked, which was a pretty high end like consulting firm, where we were mm -hmm. making really good money, but then people were like, oh, I never have any free time, and then they would just like go using shopping as therapy to feel better about yes. themselves. And then, yeah. you're, then you're just sucking some like loop and you can never get out of this, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, all right. All right, two more questions. Um, one, real quick, if I ever want to grow my business to the point where I want to hire an employee, uh, what should I consider before I do that? Yeah, consider your, like what makes you tick and kind of what we, we call them your, our core values. And make sure that you figure out questions that will tell you if that person possesses those same values that you do. Mm. The last thing you want is to hire someone where you're misaligned on those core values. And they're on anything secret. Like one of ours is at YNAB is genuine. You know, I want you to be yourself. Like I want to know the real you. I don't want to have, I, I don't want to be, feel like you're giving me a different version of yourself. You know, I want the real one. And it's far more interesting to get real people anyway. Um, so that's one of our core values. And so our hiring strategy is focused around primarily, you know, you make sure they can do the job competency. But then after that, it's like, does this person have the core values that we want? And you can hire an amazingly diverse and interesting and wide ranging um, staff of people that all share your values of genuine and a good self manager. We're all remote. That's obviously important. Um, effective communicator that, you know, you can get people in all different countries and from all over the world that are just fascinating people, but they still are in sync on those values. So that first hire, that's, that's the key. And then it is nice to think through your day and think, what things do I not like doing, you know, um, or what things am I really bad at? And then you, you know, and even with my transition out of CEO, it wasn't like I was really bad at it. I feel like I did pretty well, but I, I saw Todd and I thought, I mean, I've known Todd for years. He's worked with me for years. And I just, I knew that he had skills that I don't have to, to help YNAB, uh, to make the you know progress we want to make. So at some point you kind of say, ah, oh, someone else is better at this than I am. 
you know, and you let them do that thing. I love that. Fantastic thought. All right. Final question. Um, if people are interested in YNAB, where can they find out more about it? So, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky thing. But if you Google, you need a budget, you'll find the book. <laughs> uh, you'll find our website. Um, I also have a podcast called You Need a Budget. They're, they're short little things. Uh, they're, they come out uh, Monday and Wednesday. And we'll do one little bit where I'm just chatting about something with money. And then we'll usually have some kind of a, a host or a guest on or something like that. Um, so, yeah, we've been doing the podcast for years and years and years. And that's, that's a lot of fun. We're on YouTube, and I, like I said, we're on TikTok. So on if TikTok. that's the place <laughs> where, you know, where you go, then you go there. I'm too old to appreciate it now, so I just have to let that be. But, um, yeah, you can find us anywhere. And I would really encourage um, your, your listeners, so you got to give the software a try, but you have to recognize that you don't have to put in a credit card. We don't do that whole like little sneaky thing that companies do. But it's really about, it, like what you said at the outset, Peter, you it's about the the thinking. It's about the why behind it. And soft, the, the software of YNAB is built to support the thinking that we want you to start doing and the rules that are there as a structure within which you can feel totally free, totally at peace. And it's it's totally catered toward what you want your money to do for you. So what do I think you should spend your money on? Whatever you want. That's that's my stance, my hardline stance there. But um, give the software a try, but know that the learning is really in how you think about your money. That's the key. Yeah, and for any of my listeners who have watched any of my videos, taken any of my courses, th- what Jesse just said is exactly my philosophy with, with productivity. So if that resonates with you, you got to try out why now yeah. because it's, it's the exact same thing. It's like <laughs> know why you're doing it and, and facilitate the thinking. All right. Jesse, um, I'll make sure that all those links go in the show notes. And uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Peter. It was a pleasure. Hey, if you like the show, subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. We'd also love it if you rated the show on Apple Podcasts. To find out more about Peter or about today's guest, check out the show notes. Thank you for joining us on this episode of How They Get Stuff Done. 